This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Teruan Saranai, or in English, the blessings of the Triple Gem be with you. I hope your week has been full of happiness, but if it hasn't, perhaps you were able to use some of the mind training techniques we've spoken about over the last few weeks to minimize any unhappiness. The mind training techniques are very helpful in transforming our suffering. But we've now finished with them, and again on to consider what is called the Bodhisattva Deeds, or in other words, the Six Perfections. As I said last time, these are perfections because they're motivated by bodhicitta, the mind to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all sentient beings. They're not perfect actions so much as perfect mental states. So, for instance, the perfection of generosity is the mind state that is ready to give everything, even one's life, to benefit others. It's not running around making sure every beggar in the world no longer has to beg, though that might be a bodhisattva action. Actually, as we pointed out last week, the first of the perfections is generosity, and we started having a look at what that means. Today we are going to go a bit further into generosity. But first, of, as usual, let's do our motivation. Please try to set a very vast motivation for listening to the program today, like attaining enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. Thank you. Those with us last week will remember that to attain the perfection of generosity, we contemplate again and again the disadvantages of miserliness and the advantages of its opposite generosity. Miserliness is the cause for poverty, and lack of resources in the future, and even worse, a lower realm rebirth, particularly as a preter. Anyway, our possessions are never going to be always with us. At some, some stage we must part with them, whether they wear out, or sto- stolen, or we just get sick and tired of them. It's as if they are only on loan to us for a, for a time. So why not use them to practice generosity while we can? You might ask how that will help. Well, as we said last week, if we were experiencing good resources and wealth now, it's because we were generous in the past. Similarly, if we want wealth in the future, now is the time to practice generosity. Another benefit of generosity is that the positive potential we create now sets the scene for us to meet up in the future with a superior being who will teach us the path to enlightenment. So generosity even leads to liberation and enlightenment. It's interesting that when His Holiness the Dalai Lama gives teachings in Bodhgaya, which is in Bihar, the poorest state in India, thousands of Westerners and Tibetans travel very long distances and endure all sorts of hardships to listen to him. But none of the poor locals turn up at the teachings. They will, of course, hang around and beg off the visitors, but they don't have the karma to even take note of how to free themselves from their grinding poverty, never mind practice. The Westerners must have practiced giving at some stage to get the wealth to be able to travel from all over the world, so that giving, perhaps in a previous life, led them to His Holiness, one of the wisest and most compassionate beings on this earth. Now you'll probably know the great feeling you get when you give somebody a a gift and their whole face lights up. Isn't that another benefit of generosity? So we don't have to wait until His Holiness the Dalai Lama teaches us the whole path to enlightenment to get some joy from giving. We can get lots of happiness right now. If we give the right gifts to the right people, 
Generosity has many great benefits, especially when you compare it with the defects of miserliness. As I said in our last program, generosity is the first of the six perfections that a bodhisattva in training attains. Someone who has completed this perfection is able to give even their own flesh to beings that ask for it without any fear or regret. And that's a long cry from most of us, I would think. The Galukpa tradition talks of four divisions of generosity. Material things, the Dharma, protection and love. Of course, when we talk of giving, we usually mean material objects, don't we? Many kids wouldn't be at all happy if they ask, Hey, Dad, what are you going to give me for my birthday? And Dad says, Love, will they? But if he says the latest new iPod, they will probably be over the moon. When we talk about giving material things, we're referring to money, possessions, enjoyments like chocolate and so on. We're also talking about eventually giving your body, but it's probably not something most of us are able to do right now. In fact, the general advice is to start a practice of generosity with small gifts that are easy to give. We're mostly used to doing this. We give flowers or chocolates as thanks for some kind deed. We give birthday and Christmas presents, and we also give just when we find something that we know somebody else will really like. So it's not really difficult. We easily practice giving small things without much miserliness creeping in. However, if we try to give expensive or precious things, it's easy for some part of our mind to feel a bit unwilling, as though we don't really want to give them away. This spoils the generosity because it's then mixed up with miserliness. The power of an action lies in its motivation, as I've said many times before. So if our motivation for giving is not pure, the act itself will not be pure, no matter how valuable the gift. If we give even a small gift with a pure motivation to be of benefit to others, it can bring great happy results in the future. And if we give even a peanut with bodhicitta motivation, it will be a cause to become a Buddha. I've told the story before of the, Buddha, of the boy who had nothing to give the Buddha, so he picked up a handful of sand and, imagining that it was gold, poured it into the Buddha's hand. Because of that act, in a later life that boy became a universal king, like a king over a whole universe. So we can't discount even the smallest act of giving. Of course, a pure motivation means one that doesn't expect anything in return, not even a thank you. Now how many times do we give something to a friend or relation expecting some kind of acknowledgement and then get angry when our expectation is not met? like visiting an auntie's house, expecting to see the nice picture we gave her for her birthday hanging on the wall and getting upset when it isn't, or even worse. Like the couple in Portsmouth who were ordered to stay away from each other by a judge after they got into a fight over a Christmas present. A woman gave her friend a Wii game system for Christmas when he wanted a remote-control aeroplane. They argued, he pulled her hair and she socked him one. You must admit it's all a bit silly and childish. But mind you, it points to another factor we have to consider when practicing generosity, that the gift should be appropriate and something that satisfies the person we are giving it to. The woman made the fairly obvious mistake of giving him something he really didn't want, even though his reaction was a bit extreme. I got into a funny situation when I visited my brothers and sister in South Africa some years ago for Christmas. I managed to get presents for them and their families, 
about 13 people in all in New Zealand, though not having seen them for some years, I didn't really know what they liked. When I got there, one of my nieces and I became good friends. She's a very girly type of person whose favorite color is pink and least favorite is blue. I'd got her some jewelry with blue-purple power pieces, and I quickly realized she wouldn't like it at all. So I had to do a rapid swap around of some presents so that she got something in pink I had intended for somebody else entirely. I don't know whether the power jewelry pleased the person I eventually gave it to, as she was in another city, but I probably wasn't practicing generosity very purely that Christmas. Perhaps it would have been best if I'd found out what the various people liked first. Anyway, for a perfect act of generosity, your motivation must be pure. The gift should be of a quality appreciated by the being you're giving it to, and the action complete in every respect. I say being because it's not only humans we're talking about. We can practice generosity with animals and other non-humans as well. In fact, it's a habit of many Buddhist temples to set out rice or bread for the birds every day. And when I was staying in South India, people from the local villages would bring stray dogs to the monastery because they knew that the monks gave leftover food to the strays around the place. So we too can set up a daily practice to give the local non-humans a bit of food or drink every day. It's not hard to do and brings a lot of benefit to both ourselves and the non-humans, especially if our generosity is pure. We can also train our minds by visualizations. For instance, one Tibetan practice is to visualize your body, wealth and possessions as rays of light and send them out to all beings in every direction. For hungry beings, the light becomes food and drink. For sick, it becomes medicine. For the poor, it becomes wealth and so on. We can visualize the light goes out to every being in the six realms and brings them relief and happiness. In the hot hells, it brings cooling winds and rain, as well as beautiful trees, flowers, pools and so forth. In the cold hells, it brings warm sunshine and more beautiful environments. Then in the hungry ghost realm, it brings food, drink and lots of good resources. And in the animal realm, your light brings freedom from exploitation, intelligence and good resources. In the human realm, everything becomes human, what humans need for their happiness and peace of mind. In the Azura realm, it brings freedom from jealousy and everything they need for happiness. And in the God realm, it brings flower garlands and so forth. We can also imagine the light going out to the, the great beings, the Buddha's Bodhisattvas and Arhats, making offerings such as food, water, perfume, music and so on. If we can do this kind of visualization every day, it will help our minds to become more accustomed to generosity, and we might even find we become significantly more generous people. One commentary says that this visualization practiced regularly leads to a freedom from all forms of miserliness, and our generosity will become, and I quote, perfectly pure and complete. If you are quite poor, you might think you can't practice giving, but that would be incorrect. Using the visualizations we've just described, it's easy to do the practice without having anything material to give. We can also visualize giving all our merit from our virtuous actions away. For instance, if you're in retreat doing four sessions of intense practice a day, in the same way as we gave, our, gave away our visualized bodies, wealth and possessions as light, we can send out our merit to beings in every direction. So every being, whether of this earth or of other worlds, can be an object for our practice of generosity 
and accumulation of positive potential. We can even create such positive potential by remote giving, in other words, asking others to give on our behalf. This is not if as effective as giving by our own hand, but will still bring us and others benefit. So that more or less covers the part of the perfection of generosity to do with material things. Let's go through it again with a meditation as we described. Sit comfortably and bring your mind onto your breath for a moment. Let the thoughts come and go without involving yourself in them. dissolving your body, wealth and all your possessions into a mass of light. Imagine that light shines out in all directions and fills space and wherever beings exist it gives them what they need. First, first imagine in the hot hells the light brings cooling rains and winds. The hell realms dissolve and become beautiful lands of fruit trees, flowers, pools of cool scented water and so on where no creature even thinks of harming another. In the cold hells, the light brings warm sunlight that dissolves the cold hells into beautiful environments as we described for the hot hells. Like, don't like that. It gives me a headache. Oh, my 
ghost or pretty realm where it's very difficult to find resources of any kind the light brings ripe crops fruit and so on an abundance of food drink and resources in lands of warmth and plenty to satisfy all the needs of the pretters pervading the animal realm home to all the insects fish reptiles mammals birds and so on 
It transforms into delicious food and drink, good environments, intelligence, and the powerful intention not to harm other beings in any way. Your light satisfies them completely. desires, unhappiness, squabbles, and so on. Send your light out to all humans everywhere, giving them everything that will satisfy their minds and bring them peace and joy.
Asuras are jealous, angry beings with strong ambition to be like gods. So imagine that you give them what they want, power and freedom from jealousy and anger, as well as all good resources through your light. Imagine the God realms where pleasures are immeasurable. Imagine your light gives the gods flower garments and beautiful offerings and even freedom from suffering at death time. Also imagine all the Buddhas, Bodhisattvas and Arahats and make beautiful offerings to them as well. way we have made offerings to every being everywhere. Please come out of meditation.
Our time is now up, but thank you for joining us today. Please dedicate any positive potential we've developed today to gaining enlightenment for the sake of all sentient beings. And until next time, goodbye. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.